0: Hello and welcome to the Women in Sport podcast. This episode is brought to you by our sponsors CSM Live. The 2022 Commonwealth Games in Birmingham wrapped up just a few days ago and what a week it was. There was no shortage of incredible feats of athleticism mixed with drama and surprise. And to top it all off, the sun shone all week. This year's Games also featured the largest integrated para-sport programme in the competition's history with 42 para-sport events across eight sports and over 350 athletes taking part. While the growth of para-sport at elite level is fantastic to see, many disabled women and girls face a double discrimination when it comes to sport and exercise. Now that the excitement of last week is over, we must ask what legacy the Commonwealth Games can leave behind and how the increased visibility can encourage women and girls with disabilities into sport. To chat through this, I have two fantastic guests with me.
1: Hi, I'm Kate Gray. I'm a former Paralympic swimmer
2: and now BBC Sports broadcaster. Oh, Kate, you forgot lover of Jaffa Cakes. Come on.
1: Well, I'm trying to reduce it down, Emma, so I'm not a lover of Jaffa Cakes anymore. It's all about the avocado and apples.
2: (laughs) Hi, I'm Emma Wiggs, para canoe athlete. Um, Yeah, is that it? I I have also got my brownie teas made badge so I hope that makes it onto the accolade list well as Emma totally
0: undersold herself I've got to mention she is a double Paralympic gold medal winner and a 10-time world champion paracaneurist it's really great to have you both on the podcast first let's start with the action last week what were your highlights I was actually quite
1: lucky to have been there working so um I sort of did this sort of middle week where I was really trying to focus on all the para sports but somehow got wrapped into covering everything I taught lawn bowls I mean that was a new sport for me to get my head around but being a former swimmer I found myself at the swimming pool quite a lot and that, that Sandwell Aquatic Centre it was amazing to see like what they'd done and and it helped Birmingham kind of create these brilliant venues in areas that really benefited from it and and for me a highlight had to be was actually on the final night when Northern Ireland's Bethany Firth won gold in the swimming pool in the S14 200 meters freestyle category so she's got an intellectual disability and she won Northern Ireland's first gold at the Commonwealth Games but also Northern Ireland's first gold ever in the swimming pool at a Commonwealth Games so for a para-athlete female as well to do that make history you know she made headlines she had a real sort of like moment where you go this is para sport and this is women's sport at its best and it was great to kind of feel like she was really sort of flying the flag for those para sports that are integrated but maybe sometimes get a little bit lost in all the action but her her name really stood out on that day
2: it certainly was an incredible few days of competition and and like you said Sarah like weather for birmingham
1: it reminded me of 10 years ago in london where it seemed to shine every day that yeah. sun and and there was a few times when i was like is Birmingham always like this with the canals, it felt like we were on
2: holiday. It was really well, nice. And I and I live in the Midlands, so I can verify that it is not normally like that. So <laughs> it was uh it was quite exceptional. But I think all the sport was amazing, and like you said, to have that number of para events was from my personal perspective an incredible step forward again, and, and again, probably 10 years on from London, really building on that legacy and that shift in momentum. Um, I think I loved the opening ceremony when Tom Daly made that really powerful. Um, statement around the lgbtq plus um, discrimination that happens in so many of those countries that that compete i think it's 35 of the countries that compete it's criminalized so i think that's another important statement to be made and probably a real highlight and i think it's it just shows how important these multi-sport multi-event stages are for for not only showcasing things like parasport you know that we're obviously passionate about but but all the the things in society that that need their moment in the in the limelight
0: yeah absolutely a platform for change isn't it you know that we can really get a a clear message out now I mean the Commonwealth Games does have a really really fantastic history of diversity and inclusion and this was the biggest fully integrated major event to date is it important and how important is it to have a fully integrated
1: program? I think the Commonwealth Games is unique in that respect and it's been doing it I think since the 90s I sort of was looking back over the history of how long has power events been included and in the early days it was very much like a bit of an exhibition a bit of a like let's allow some of these disabled athletes in to get a flavor of it whereas in London and certainly and I think Glasgow did it really well on the Gold Coast you know the last few games that we've had they've really made it feel like they were part of the program there was no real sort of like you do it on your bit and we'll do it on our bit it's like no they're part of it and I you know, speaking to a lot of the athletes their highlight is being around their elbow body counterparts learning from them and just feeling like actually they didn't think we were any different they learnt from us as much as we learned from them and I think it's great to have that opportunity but it's also a very small amount of power sports included i know it said it's the biggest biggest ever and it is for the commonwealth games but actually there were eight sports 42 events and 350 athletes uh paralympic games we have about 25 26 sports we have 550 events and about four and a half thousand people will be competing in paris for example in 2024 so it is still very small and i think that's the message i'm constantly trying to say is that it is a great showcase and it's great for those athletes that get their sports and their events chosen but you know in all the years that I was competing in the Commonwealth Games was going on my event was never chosen so I was always like oh it's so close and Ellie Simmons another example of all the years she was competing for Great Britain and now is the time that her events come up but she's retired so she's been like I would like to have been there but I'm quite glad to be watching but I'm sure Emma you feel the same slightly in the fact that it's it's unlikely that canoeing or para canoeing is going to have its opportunity in the Commonwealth Games but it is a piece of the big paralympic movement puzzle isn't it
2: yeah absolutely i think you know you're so right it's it's such an important stage that actually i feel that we should be looking at diversifying those sports and making sure that the events that are chosen they've got to be competitive they've got to be core it they've got to be showcasing para sport because i think as an athlete who who isn't in the commonwealth games it's frustrating to then see potentially the the organisers or whoever makes the decisions choosing some events that that maybe aren't as strong as they could be and coming from a sport where we are fully integrated. So every international that we compete in, we compete alongside our Olympic teammates. That's a real buzz. Like you so rightly said, it's a buzz for for us to to compete alongside. But I, I feel certainly that they're learning from us you know we shouldn't be being grateful for being for being included we're there because we're we're performing at the very best level and and we're beating the best in the world and i feel really strongly that that would be a, a really positive step forward for victoria in the next games if they really look very closely at choosing sports and events within those sports that are super competitive
1: it's the scheduling it's got to be right it's got to be the best opportunity for para sport to show what it's got and I think sometimes they kind of go well there's going to be a couple of home nations or you know the home games athletes in that so let's let's put them there but then there was no other lanes filled for the rest of the event and you sort of think let's fill the lanes let's put the sports out there that are really going to Give it a great opportunity, but also the sports that are going to allow those smaller nations to send athletes as well. So it is the friendly games, and okay, they might not be keeping up with the likes of Hannah Cockcroft, um, but they're there competing, they're they're learning, and they're going yeah. to go. Do you know what? I'm going to go back and really push this and see if I can qualify for the
2: Paralympics next. Yeah, and that's the legacy, isn't it? Because mm. you know, I know within para we've got some talent inspiration program athletes from Nigeria, and we're only going to have them in the future if we give them opportunities. Now, so yeah, 100% agree. Let's let's hope Victoria embrace a wide range of sports and and really, rather than it just being a tick box exercise, focus in on let's choose sports and events that are super competitive and broad.
0: Yeah, it's it's really interesting actually to hear you both talk, and I think it it sort of plays into the value, doesn't it, of having a fully integrated games about how. Um, para-athletes can really feel valued. We've talked quite a lot this summer about women's sport um, more generally and we we looked at the Lionesses win um, and obviously that's thrown up a lot of conversation about where women have sat alongside men's football um, and the value piece and I think it's really really interesting to hear you know that kind of integration and how athletes can really feel valued and feel part of it and not that kind of second-class citizen and just a you know we need to tick a box
1: yeah and I think that's been a the case for para sport for many years and the one subject that did seem to keep coming up is why don't we combine the Olympics and right. the Paralympics you know and I, I don't necessarily think just integration means equality I think you know whether it's women whether it's disability having their opportunity and it being just as fantastic and respected and acknowledged mm-hmm. as the men version of it I think someone even raised a really good point when we were having this conversation is We'd never expect the Women's World Cup to be exactly the same time as the Men's World Cup, would we? Because what would happen? The men's would get the biggest talking yeah. point. Whereas keeping them separate works really well. And I think that is exactly the argument that we use. And I can see Emma's there going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely, that it works segregated or separated at a Paralympic level, because of the size of the events, and to ensure that they get yeah. their moment in the spotlight.
2: And I think you know, the Birmingham did an incredible job with that in terms of choosing um, the women's T20 cr- cricket, for example. So they had audiences that would never have normally gone. Then you know, maybe they went to the men's cricket, but because it was just women, they really highlighted that. I watched the first match of the 100 um, last night on the telly and the crowd was huge, absolutely huge. And that has to be off the immediate legacy of those Commonwealth Games and and having that platform. So, yeah, I totally agree, Kate. I don't think it's about, you know, integration is is absolutely the key at every single event. We we need our own platform and our own stage. But certainly, if we can be on a, a joint integrated stage that everybody sees... People are then going to be interested in women's cricket, in para sport or whatever it might be. It's these baby steps to to get to the bigger picture that I think is vital. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And so how important then is that visibility for not only disabled women and girls that might want to get into sport, but for different audiences? I mean, we've seen that really clearly through the Euros, kind of how the audience certainly was so different from the men's game. Um, bringing it back to that kind of football link. But, um, you know, it just opened up a whole new kind of very diverse audience into football. So, you know, how does that relate into para-sport?
1: That is the the same with the Commonwealth Games as as well, I think. You know, we saw so many families going for their days out to the Commonwealth Games. Maybe they don't always tune into the Paralympics, but they see oh, the Commonwealth Games. I've heard of that before. Let's turn that on. And then they see para-sport. So that visibility is the key, I think, in terms of if we want Paralympic sport to grow, it's not about putting two events together and saying that makes it equal. It's about making sure they have the equal amount of coverage. You know, it's the equal opportunity to access and see those role models, and and that's where the Commonwealth Games is brilliant. You know, I'm a big netball fan, uh, and I love that it is that one moment where netball gets the chance to have its moment in the spotlight. And we were getting like emails, don't turn up to the England Australia semi final. It's completely overflowing with people, and there's not even enough room for extra media to come along and then I work at a netball club as well and we've had like suddenly about 10 new people want to join in the last week and I can imagine that's exactly what's happening to women's football at the moment that sudden like interest and it's about things being ready like we want things in place and accessible for people before the big boom comes along so then they can just literally fall into those opportunities.
2: It's about perceptions as well isn't it it's changing these people's perceptions of what Uh, women's cricket might be like or women's football might be like or parasport and and we can't do that on our own you know we know how great it is we know what it takes to compete at the very top level but we can't showcase the world that unless we've got a stage like Kate said like the Commonwealth Games in order to do that so I think it's absolutely crucial to engage with these audiences and to and to change some of those um, probably long-held beliefs about what women's sport is or what disability sport is and I think it's a well-known phrase isn't it you can't you can't be it if you can't see it and, and I don't want to you know use something that's that's used very very much but it's it is true it is true that if we haven't got it out there you know if you were a young person with a disability or a young female with a disability you know you need to be seeing all of these things on the telly to be aspiring to them and I'm you know I'm a real firm believer that a person with a disability can't only inspire people with disabilities and i think it's really dangerous to pigeonhole us into women can only inspire women and people with disabilities can only inspire people with disabilities it's it's so much broader than that and These stages are the ones where we can harness that power and that strength and really make an absolute change for the better.
0: We did some recent research that showed that only half of girls were dreaming of reaching the top of sport compared to boys. But, you know, it's so important, like you say, to have as many different women competing, whether, you know, able-bodied, disabled, um, you know, lots of diversity, you need to be women and girls need to be able to see somebody like them at the top of sport to be able to go, actually that's a viable option for me. Yeah. Um, how, how have you seen that kind of shift? You know, since you've been competing, you've both been in um, in sport for for quite a while. How have you seen that shift from the sort of
2: early days of of competing yourselves to where we are now? I think I think it's been a huge shift. I, I you know I think back to. Um, pre-London and either interviews we did or conversations that we were having and it was very much around oh what's your disability oh aren't you brave haven't you done well to be doing sport you know despite then you look at Rio where there was a more of a focus on so what's your training like what are you doing um, in the winter does it change to the summer you know how much can you bench press etc cetera, etc cetera. And then you move on to Tokyo again, and yes, of course, we we've, we've always going to have a backstory, and I, and I get that, but there's definitely appears to be a momentum shift in athletes with a disability rather than people with a disability Having a go at sports, you know, and my nieces and nephews, they're not really interested in what bits don't work. They're interested in, you know, how how many times can you bench press me above your head or, um, you know, what are you eating today or whatever it might be? It's an incredibly powerful thing. And I think that shift is down to the media and, and how they've changed the narrative, hopefully. Uh, Still, still work to do. Absolutely. But I think that's been a a noticeable shift from my experience.
1: Well, glad you said that, Emma, because that is what I've been trying to do over the last sort of eight, 10 years working in sort of broadcasting because I've retired in London 2012. So I had that kind of build up to London and it was a really exciting time to be an athlete building up to London 2012. But as Emma says that it was much more around kind of look at these athletes. They've got these great stories and that got people's attention for London. But actually it was their performances and their outstanding abilities that made people keep watching it was god they're blooming fast on blades aren't they or Craigie, did you see that wheelchair rugby they were smashing each other up and it didn't matter it was amazing to watch and you know the conversation changed around disability and everybody loves a backstory. And I don't think that's different from disability to anyone else. Everyone loves to have a bit of a like, oh, I can connect with that person because I know a bit more about them. But I've worked really hard and I'm always encouraging other people in the media to cover a Paralympic story because that athlete is great and they deserve to have that platform. And if they happen to also have an interesting backstory, so be it. We'll share that information as well. But it shouldn't necessarily be their headline. You know, it shouldn't be why we're talking about them. And I think you know there's also within women's sport there's a lot of talk around let's do the story on this woman because she's coming back from having a baby and I've noticed actually that's that's still quite common isn't it and it shouldn't be unusual now that women are going back to sport after having a baby it should be the the norm I think you know if they want to go back and continue their their work of being an athlete then then that's brilliant and great to acknowledge it but it shouldn't be the whole story of what's it like coming yeah. back after having a child and it should be just because they're blooming great athletes and we should have them as role models for young people because I work spend a lot of time in schools and interesting you say you know still the boys are there, the ones who want to be the athletes they want to be the footballers they want to be like so and so whereas the girls are timid they're they're not confident to admit that that's what they want to do, even if they do. And I think I want to change that because not all young people are going to go on to become athletes or professional athletes but if they've got a little bit of hope there it will it will drive them to be successful in whatever they choose to do so yeah. dreaming big is never something i i knock kids down for because you know there's plenty of times in school when i was sort of laughed at because i wanted to be an athlete and they sort of go well, what's there for you anyway
2: it's the transferable skills isn't it kate yeah. it, it's the fact that actually you're, you know not everyone is going to be performing at an elite level but we must be active we absolutely must be moving and we must be active and if we're learning those skills that sport teaches us, that's going to set everybody up for whatever it is they do in their life, whether it's sports or whether it isn't. It's, it's that I passionately believe it's that physical activity and the things that we learn from everything that sport is that will that will just set us up to be great happy successful humans and and surely that's what we should be striving for
0: absolutely and it's something that we talk about a lot about how much sport can transform lives and we found another stat actually talking about this year was that um 23 percent fewer girls play team sport than boys and and you know you've, you've just mentioned there some of the incredible things that sport can teach and, and team sport is is up there about you know Uh, teamwork communication resilience leadership you know all of those incredible things that girls need to be able to achieve in in any area of their lives whether that be in sport or or outside of sport we talk quite a lot about kind of sport at elite level but what what's the picture at grassroots you know what is the pathway for these girls that we want to try and recruit into sport and and give them that that joy and you know all of those kind of things we've spoken about that sport can give you I think it's
2: more challenging I mean I was a PE teacher before I became an athlete so my experience in schools is obviously a few years ago but i think it's it is harder for for the girls it's harder for the for the staff to to get the girls engaged to keep them engaged and to find activities and and things that are going to light that passion of, of physical activity and i think that is more challenging than it is for the boys you know the boys will go and kick a football around at break time you don't necessarily see the girls doing that and hopefully that will change with the lionesses driving that momentum there but i think i think it's challenging and i think we need to be adaptive and we need to be moving with the times and with the interests to try and offer opportunities to to get them hooked you know i was incredibly sporty as a child so i was one of the the easy wins you know i i was a tick box because i would do anything they were i went to an all-girls school there were plenty of girls that that weren't and it's that group that we need to be trying to, to find what is it that's going to unlock that passion? Because if we don't get them doing it at school, I don't know how they will continue in their adult life. And for me, you know, I was sporty, but I am, um, I probably get emotional at this point. I am more able and, I am more, and I'm more powerful and I'm stronger and I'm fitter now as a person with a disability because of what sport has given me. And that's an incredible thing to be able to sit here and say. So, you know, if we can get people on that on that journey when they're younger, when they've got, you know, everything about them, then then that's going to have that's going to surely be more successful.
1: Well, one thing also I've noticed is that when we talk about women and disability and that whole dropout rate around sort of secondary school and not wanting to participate, is there also is this a real delay in um diagnosing or identifying young girls that have got maybe an intellectual disability like autism so they're struggling to kind of deal with the social changes that they're having to deal with at school and the easy thing is to take a step away from the things that make them feel uncomfortable like sport when actually that could be the thing that really supports them and we've done a lot of I've done a lot of work around um, sort of autism and girls in schools and how actually if you can find something that really makes them click and makes them feel empowered you've just created a whole new opportunity for a group of girls that probably wouldn't have even dreamed of taking part in PE. Yeah. And that whole disability and women sport thing links up really well there because they've got even more reason not to want to take part because they're dealing with a whole lot of emotional issues as well, which sport can solve if it's delivered in the right way and offered to them in the right way. Mm-hmm. And There's little moments of greatness I've seen in schools where they've managed to find
0: something that really make those girls tick. This is one of the big problems, isn't it? It's it's the barriers and it's also the opportunity for for girls to take part in sport. And I'm really glad you mentioned the sort of non-visible disability and how we can support those girls as well. What opportunity is there for, for girls uh, that have either non-visible or visible disability and what you know what does that look like because it's difficult enough keeping girls in sport when they're able-bodied but the opportunity for disabled girls must be even harder.
1: We talk a lot about needing more opportunities like do we need more clubs for these girls do we need to find new sports for these girls like I honestly believed over, over the years and what's sort of been an ongoing trend is it's actually people feeling confident and able to deliver to those sort of young people and knowing how to go they don't want to take part in this activity that doesn't mean I'm going to tell them to sit out I'm going to adapt it to make it work for them a lot of the time it's having that confidence to deliver to not the sporty kids to the ones that aren't interested to the ones that aren't showing confidence in that and making it work for them and being able to integrate that into the general PE lesson or integrate that into the club that's available it's not about trying to find more and more clubs because we know time and resources are short so it's just thinking outside that box and giving deliverers and coaches the confidence to do that
2: schools are under huge pressure PE teachers are under massive stress and strain to try and get everything in but but it's not only the PE teachers that can lead these activities you know if if I was a head teacher I would be saying to all of my staff you need to be you need to be doing two movement physical activity things in the week and then whether that's a preschool walk for 20 minutes or a lunchtime stroll around the field for 10 minutes but take pupils with you and, and let's maybe give pupils some movement time targets because if we start with people moving it's, it's amazing how it then builds as a habit you know I honestly believe these countries like Australia that have such great activity levels yes we always go oh well they've got the weather oh they've got the weather
1: <laughs> we think, look well, at yeah. Birmingham so do we <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah but you know we, we have got a bit of weather but they have got better weather but that shouldn't be a barrier to to movement and I think it's just so powerful you know for years we've known about 10,000 steps But why is that not instilled into the school day? You know, my nephew's six years old. They do a mile walk every single day. Like They're they're doing that because that's what they do to get these kids moving. And until we make movement and physical activity a really valuable part of our day and and probably non-negotiable in some way, and there were were different options about how we could do that, then I think whether I had disability or whether I didn't, whether I was female or whether I was male, I would be moving more and that has to be the first step in creating this active next generation that will that will be filling our screens, you know, when we're long retired, sitting back watching them all. Yeah, PE has to be a core subject as well, doesn't
0: it? You know, we have to have it as a core subject alongside English, maths and science. Yeah. it's It's
2: as important. It's got to have a minimum delivery limit or whether that be, you know, movement time or whatever, it's got to have a minimum because otherwise, you know, I've been there, it's the first that goes. It needs to be everyone's responsibility. And if if all the staff were doing it, those kids that aren't engaged in PE, say there's someone that's passionate about languages. Well, if Madame, whoever, who teaches French, is then going for a walk before school, maybe I'd join because I've got that rapport... And I could get that movement in with them. Yeah, and it's
1: it's also starting from as young as possible. Uh, we know that primary school kids just eat up any opportunity to be physically active, and I don't need to list off the reasons why that's good for them because it means they sit down and do their lessons really well when they've had their get their opportunity. But it, it's crazy how much it changes when they move into that secondary environment. So if you make it such a habit and such a sort of norm at primary, when they get to secondary, they're not then going, oh, crikey, why are they asking us to do this? We've never we've never Gone out on the playground when it's raining. We know boys will still go out and play football on the playgrounds at lunchtime when it's raining because they love it. Whereas girls, if there's an opportunity to maybe go, oh, maybe not, I don't want to ruin my hair because apparently I'm meant to look like this person on Instagram. And let's scrap all those stereotypes and just give them this freedom to go, I've loved that in my early years and I want to continue loving that through these times when probably I need to be physically active more than ever Mm because I'm going through crazy changes in my mind and my body. And going out for a run or catching up with friends on a walk rather than you know on a computer or whatnot you know that there's so much more to gain from that and I do worry that actually the COVID impact on girls is probably much greater because of that because boys would probably still go out and play in the garden with you know their brothers or whatnot whereas the girls would maybe go well I'll stay on on the computer and you know go on Instagram instead or TikTok and the excuses are too easy and available for girls out there because it's what's sort of been been ingrained into them over years i wonder as
2: well whether we need to do more on the kind of the narrative and the champions you know how powerful it was when andy murray spoke up for for women in for women in tennis and and and, and what a, a what a massive media profile that received but also how powerful that was for women competing in tennis and i wonder whether we need these these big sports stars who have got these profiles and got these platforms to be just thinking about how they're championing and and the narrative they're using to to engage with people. So it is about youngsters, you know, youngsters with disabilities, youngsters without disabilities. You know, that would be a simple change that would be, I feel, quite impactful to to hear these big names talking about, yes, their sport, but also the different groups that are in society that make up society and make us what we are. How brilliant if we would have if we could have them, you know, mentioning disability or 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 promoting it as as everybody together and and the importance of being active. I feel like that change and that shift would, would be really quite impactful.
0: We saw it, didn't we? I mean, I know I keep coming back to football, but it's, you know, it's so front and center of this summer. Um, and we saw what Ian Wright did for women and for you know championing um PE in, in in schools and and really showcasing you know the barriers that girls have faced to football in particular. But you know, all it needs is is a few more people like that, as you say, to be using their platform. And a lot of the things that we've been talking about are sort of deep rooted societal change. Um, but we can start now, we can start changing attitudes. You know, we've got Ellie Simmons on, strictly come dancing, she's
1: gonna be fabulous, you know, um, and maybe- amazing visual representation of disability, absolutely smashing it in in the big wide world of media and just being a, a shining light of, of positivity for females and disability uh, and that's exactly what we need because hopefully then people will learn from her, you know, we're going to see masses of training of her working through how she'll manage her disability through doing all the routines and the more people watch that and they'll go, do you know what? I never knew that was possible. I didn't know she could do it like that. And and straight away the, the wider public yeah. is going to be absolutely learning more and more about disability. Oh she's
0: amazing. And ultimately it's just not being defined is it it's not being defined yeah. by your gender, by your ethnicity, yeah. by you know whether you're disabled. You know, none of this matters. It's about you know what you can achieve. Yeah. Ultimately whether that's through sport or or, or another Area of your
2: life, you know. Sometimes, and I've probably been guilty of it in the past. As a female athlete with a disability, that's that's lucky enough to be performing at quite a high level, I think can be quite intimidating sometimes to some younger girls or some, and particularly probably those with with those disabilities as well. Because if they, if they don't think they're ever going to reach that level and train full time and all the rest of it, that's kind of it's a bit like when they called us all superhumans. It was a bit like, oh, it's almost making us a bit untouchable. If we can change what we're saying as well and say, do you know what? Not everyone is going to be a is, not, is going to be a canoeist or a massively successful paranormal swimmer. They're not. That's not. It's about movement. It's about being active. It's about what we can learn from sport and how sport can unleash our potential and add value to our life that it is it is that powerful to to have that sort of impact so i think we've all got a responsibility to to champion that and and to say, look, this is this is for everybody, whatever level and whatever stage.
0: Let's sort of come back to where we started with the Commonwealth Games. What would you like to the, the sort of the full the true legacy of the Commonwealth Games to be? When we
1: put on an event and we do it really well, it's hugely successful, and I hope that we only continue to improve. It's not about plateauing or assuming that's as good as it gets. It's about saying that was a great example of how we do our jobs really well or how we can put on an event really well. What can we do better? And I yeah. think that's such an important attitude to have, particularly when you're maybe one of those minority groups or disadvantaged groups or groups that maybe feel like they don't quite have the equality they deserve. So we've always got to keep thriving. And that's, Birmingham is never going to be enough for us. London 2012 was never enough for us. And every event we go to will feel like that. And, And that's the attitude that we all need. I think also it's about educating people to welcome anybody of all walks of life and you know if you've got a football club that you run for just females does that female football club also allow people to come that have got a disability are they you know if it's just participation level could a person in a wheelchair come along and join in okay if not have you got an alternative for them is someone with you know a leg amputation are they able to take part it's not about having separate groups for every disability out there it's about having an open mind and educating the deliverers the coaches the supporters to go we can welcome everyone we can make this work and then when they're ready to move on to that next step of competitive sport elite sport we can provide them with the pathway whether that's down to the Paralympics or onto the Olympics you know it's not about feeling like everybody has to have their pigeonhole and they can only participate in that group of people and I'm really excited about that possibility and a lot of that comes down to educating coaches educating deliverers and giving them the confidence to go all welcome here I'm going to embrace this and we're going to make this work for all.
2: I think Kate summed up all the points that I would have said, it's it's all of those things. But most importantly, it's about showing people that movement, sport, physical activity is absolutely fundamentally, I think, the most important thing that we can all do for our lives, for our physical well-being, for our mental well-being and for our happiness. And I think there's things that sport and physical activity teach us that will set us up for everything that comes ahead of us the challenges and, and also the, the high moments and the celebrations. so if I was Victoria I would think gauntlet Throne by Birmingham um, how can I make this better how can I make this um, you know more integrated more powerful for, for the female athletes um, and more of a spectacle to showcase the real best that the Commonwealth has got to offer.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you, Kate and Emma, for such an incredible conversation today. It's certainly given us a huge amount of food for thought. Thank you for being incredible, inspirational athletes. Um, and thank you for championing women's sport and disability sport and being just an incredible all-round women you know you are role models to to so many women and girls keep doing what you're doing thanks for having me pleasure it's a good job to do isn't it (laughs) (laughs) what a fascinating conversation thank you so much for listening as always thank you to our sponsors csm live If you'd like to find out more about women in sport, head to our website at womeninsport.org. We are a charity. If you do feel you can support us, every donation is gratefully received and helps us to continue to break down barriers to sport and transform the lives of women and girls. Thank you so much again for listening. See you next time.